0: and turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. Our text for the morning comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 34. If you're not familiar with 2 Chronicles and you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find this text on page 418 of the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story this morning that comes to us primarily from chapter 34 of Second Chronicles. It is about good King Josiah. We need to know good King Josiah. If you know good King Josiah, you need to know good King Josiah better. You need to understand the context for good King Josiah. His great-grandfather was King Hezekiah of Judah. One of the other of only two good kings in Judah. His grandfather was Manasseh. If you know your Hebrew Bible, Manasseh was a terribly evil, wicked king in Judah. Under Manasseh's reign, pagan idolatry became part of the people. Pagan worship, false false priests, desecration of the temple. You had, you had high places created throughout Judah where people would worship their pagan gods. You had Asherah poles created throughout Judah where people would worship the goddess Asherah. Much of that occurred and was established during the kingdom of wicked King Manasseh. That was Josiah's grandfather. Josiah's father was Ammon. He was about as bad as King Manasseh, but he didn't live very long. He was assassinated. And then God, I think in answer to the prayers of the people, brought about a new season in the life of Judah by raising up a new king, good King Josiah. So we begin with the beginning of his reign. We're going to be looking at a big chunk of 2 Chronicles chapter 34. But I want to begin by reading you the opening remarks about good king Josiah. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign did you get that eight years old he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem that means he reigned till he was 30 he, until he was 39 years old he did what was right in the sight of God and walked in the ways of his ancestor David he did not turn aside to the right or to the left again there's only one other king of which this could be said verse 3 for in the eighth year of his reign he would be about 16 years old at this point for in the eighth year of his reign while he was still a boy he began to seek the God of his ancestor David and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of those high places the sacred poles and the carved and cast images in his presence they pulled down the altars of the bells. He demolished the incense altars that stood above them. He broke down the sacred poles and the carved and cast images. He made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And he purged Judah and Jerusalem in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Nephtali, in the ruins all around, he broke down the altars, beat the sacred poles and the images into powder, and demolished all the incense altars throughout all the land of Jerusalem, or Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. My friends, this too is the word of God. Would you pray with me? God we thank you for the whole counsel of your word and we pray that we will continue to allow your word to reform us and transform us so that we may live as your people Holy Spirit may we give you freedom in our lives right now to hear what it is you're saying to each one of us let us not focus on what we hope other people hear But let us seek to hear what you have for each one of us. God, we pray that you'll give each one of us ears to hear. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I was so grateful recently to learn from thebump.com. I don't visit that website very often, thebump.com. But on the website, thebump.com, I was delighted to learn that the name Josiah is, as of this year, at least during this calendar year, has been the 85th most popular name for newborn boys. Josiah. Warned my heart to hear that. It is actually it has actually rebounded to its popularity that it had in the late 1800s. You know, other than your family name, your other names are your Christian names. And um, sometimes I wish people would choose Christian names for their Christian names when they name their children. We used to name our children things like Josiah, Hezekiah, Obadiah, Jonah, Noah. The list goes on. There are some great, great characters in the Hebrew Bible, and I, I think one of the reasons we don't use their names very often is that we don't know their stories very often. I named, Tammy and I named our son uh, Caleb years ago because of, of course, the famous Joshua and Caleb, and I'll never forget he was born 1989. I did not realize in 1989 that there was a popular character on a soap opera named Caleb. I spent a lot of time telling people I did not name my son after that popular character on the soap opera, but it gave me an an opportunity to introduce them to the Caleb of the Bible. Josiah is a great, great name. We need to know Josiah better. If you were to read all of chapter 34... You would see, as we've already seen, when he was eight years old, he became the king. When he was 16, he started seeking hard after the God of David, one of his ancestors. When he was 26, you heard in the text, he began to purge the land of pagan worship and idolatry. He even... He even decided, as you make your way through chapter 34, that he wants to renovate, clean up, restore the temple there in Jerusalem. During the reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, the temple fell into disrepair, and in many ways it symbolized the religious culture of that day. Manasseh even put up pagan statues in the temple there in Jerusalem they had fallen so far away from the worship of the true God they had fallen so far away from the worship of the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and David and Ruth and Miriam they had fallen so far away from that because of wicked kings like Manasseh and Ammon that when when eight-year-old Josiah became king he was going to be a different king at age 16, he begins reforming the nation spiritually by tearing down the pagan altars and by casting out the pagan priests and by drawing them back to the faith of their ancestors. I think one of the reasons, by the way, that Josiah was able to do this was certainly not his grandfather, Manasseh, certainly not his father, Ammon, but his mother. So there was a period when he was being raised As the child of a single mother and evidently his mother helped him seek after the things of God as opposed to seeking after the things of this world so he began that reform and he even started restoring the temple that had fallen into great disrepair and as you read on through chapter 34 you'll see that as they're restoring the temple the high priest Hilkiah discovers a book. Now, it actually would have been a scroll, but we'll call it a book. He discovers a book. It's a book of the law of Moses. Throughout Jewish history and Christian history, we have tended to say this is probably the book of Deuteronomy. Fifth book of the Old Testament that was lost and then rediscovered during the time of King Josiah. and the high priest Hilkiah gave it to Shapan, the scribe, who took it to Josiah. And Shapan, the scribe, read it out loud, the the entirety of Deuteronomy, to good king Josiah. And when he heard the word of God there in that book of the Bible that had been lost, it really really convicted him. The text says, verse 19 of uh, 2 Chronicles 34, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He realized after reading the book of Deuteronomy how far the people, the nation had fallen. So that's good King Josiah. That's good King Josiah. And then you see how the story begins to end at verse 29 of chapter 34 second chronicles it says the king then sent word and gathered all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the people of Judah the inhabitants of Jerusalem the priests and the Levites those are the religious people all the people both great and small he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, his statutes, with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in his book. Then he made all who were present. He made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin pledge themselves to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem acted according to the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah took away all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were in Israel worship the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn. All of his days, as he ruled, they did not turn away from the following of the Lord the God of their ancestors and if you continue reading over in chapter 35 you see that he good King Josiah institutes re the observance of Passover not only do these people need to rediscover the Bible they had even stopped celebrating Passover he reinstituted that so that's the story of good King Josiah. I hope that you know him now or I hope that you know him better. There's a reason we've named so many of our kids throughout our history Josiah. Josiah brings us illustrations of so many important lessons. I want to offer you three takeaways from this text this morning so that the Holy Spirit can apply it to our lives. Every time I read the story of good King Josiah, one of the things that I take away from that story is that we, we must, with great intentionality, value our children and our youth. Again, he became king at age 8. At age 16, he begins to follow hard after God. And he became the remarkable king that brought remarkable reformation to the people we need to value our children and our young people you know for a lot of us who are in the Christian faith we for the majority of us we probably came to the Christian faith in our teenage years we need to value our children we need to value our youth we need to be pouring into them I hope that every one of you here in the sanctuary is busy mentoring someone Who is coming behind you in the faith you know the the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church the church of God will endure to the end of the ages but that doesn't mean that in any particular location in any particular region that the church might not fade away the Christian community around the world is always within one generation of fading away. So I hope that you're mentoring the people who are to come behind us. They're not the church of the future. They're the church of today, but they will be the people who will be in leadership one day when we pass on to the other side. I hope that the Spirit is calling to your mind right now somebody that you're mentoring. No matter where you're at in your Christian walk, you are further along than someone else out there. So I hope that you're mentoring. I think it was King Josiah's mother, particularly when she was a single mother with Josiah. Something was planted in him that fulfilled God's call on his life and allowed the faith to blossom. We need to pay attention to how we value our children and young people. Thank you for all your support of our ministries here, particularly the ministries that we do to our children and to our young people we're changing their lives which means we're changing High Point which means we're changing the world thank you for the ways you support those ministries I I think we have one of the most vibrant vital children's ministries and youth or student ministries anywhere in this area and that would not happen without our generosity they're not working yet They're not throwing much in the plate yet. We're the ones that have to support that ministry. So we need to value our children and young people. We need to keep remembering little eight-year-old King Josiah. Sometimes a child shall lead them. Secondly, when I look at the story of King Josiah, particularly as I set the story of King Josiah in the context of the other kings, I'm reminded that godly leaders bring blessing to the people. But I'm also reminded that people often get the kind of leaders they deserve. I think what's happening here, they tolerated King Manasseh, they tolerated King Ammon, they began to enjoy the pagan idolatry, they began to participate in the pagan worship, they started making compromises and allowances, and before long it was as bad as it was in the day of King Josiah when he came to the throne. But I think the people began to tire of King Manasseh's style of leadership in destroying the nation and King Ammon's style of leadership and destroying the nation. I think in answer to their prayers, prayers of the people for new leadership, I think young King Josiah was God's answer to that. People often get the type of leader they deserve. People often get the type of leader that comes in answer to their prayers or the lack thereof. But we see throughout the scripture, particularly the Hebrew Bible, that godly leaders bring blessing to the people. There were were 16 kings in Israel. They were all wicked. They were all bad. There were 19 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah around Jerusalem. And they really were all bad except Hezekiah and Josiah. So I think sometimes people get the kind of leaders they deserve. They get the kind of leaders that they deserve an answer to their prayers, an answer to their faithfulness but when a godly leader like Josiah comes the people are blessed and then the last takeaway I want to offer you this morning is this and this is perhaps the prevailing takeaway from chapter 34. Young King Josiah took the throne Josiah at age 16 began to restore the true religion when he's 26 years old he decides to restore the building of the temple and while they were restoring the building of the temple Hilkiah found that scroll of the book of Deuteronomy Shapan read it in its entirety to Josiah and then Josiah read it in its entirety to all the people that he gathered and that just continued to spur the reformation the renewal the revival that's happening at this point in their history one of my favorite prayers in the book of common prayer is a prayer that's assigned for the second sunday in advent is a prayer that i love to use before i read scripture there's a prayer written by thomas cranmer the the great reformer who helped create the Book of Common Prayer that became the origin of English Protestant worship. And that prayer says, Blessed Lord, who has called all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Hope that you spend significant time every day in the Word not just reading it, but learning to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Word of God. Deuteronomy had been lost. I think most of the Bible had been lost by the time Josiah came. That's why the, the nation was in such a bad place. But what challenges me is this. Even though the priests were pagan... Even though the word of God was ignored or lost, the temple kept functioning. Religious stuff kept happening in the temple. And that, that can happen. Religious people can just keep doing what they've been doing, and um, the faith can just drift away. But they discovered, rediscovered the book of Deuteronomy and it brought great, great renewal, revival, awakening, renovation, reform to the people. Every time, every time God has renewed His people throughout history, part of that renewal has been a rediscovery of the Word of God. The Bible is God's Word written down for us. It's the way God communicates with us. God loves us so much that God communicates with us. It's in the Bible that we learn who God is. It's in the Bible that we learn what God's plan for our life is. Every time God has ever brought revival to his people, it's always been partially spurred on, perhaps predominantly spurred on by rediscovery of the Bible. When Martin Luther began the Protestant Reformation, he just sang his great hymn at the opening of our service. It was because he had rediscovered the power of the book of Romans and Galatians in the New Testament particularly in regards to what it teaches about salvation through grace by faith. When John Wesley had his heartwarming experience in that Moravian Bible study there on Aldersgate Street perhaps you remember it occurred as someone there in the room were reading Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on the book of Romans. First Great Awakening in the 1730s and 40s, Second Great Awakening in the early 1800s, they were all Great Awakenings that, to a large degree, involved a return to the Word of God. The Bible needs to be central to who we are. In our best moments for the last 3,500 years, the Bible has been central. To us in our best moments but I know that in some people's lives even people who profess the name of Christ the Bible is almost a lost book it's the most published book in the world and the least read probably I'm sure that you know I hope you know that has been said as has been said throughout our history sin will keep us from the Bible or the Bible will keep us from sin you make your choice It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time, the prince of the pulpit there in London in the 19th century, who one time told somebody, he said to that person, there's enough dust on your Bible to take your finger and write damnation on it. We need to make sure the scriptures are central to who we are. Even the editors of the upper room know that those few verses at the beginning of your upper room devotional not enough. Not enough. We need to f- find some way to immerse our lives in Scripture. So for some people, the Word of God is a lost book. For some churches, it's a lost book. Again, think about the temple that Josiah inherited. They kept doing religious stuff and they had lost the Bible. There are churches in our culture, that that perhaps they're doing the religious stuff. People are showing up on Sunday morning. The person behind the pulpit is telling them wonderful stories and great jokes, and everybody's leaving feeling well. But the Bible's a lost book in that congregation. Remember, it was John Wesley who famously said, when you cut a Methodist, their blood is bibline. We bleed Bible as Methodist people. Were that always to be the case, I'm so grateful for all the opportunities for Bible study that we have here at Wesley Memorial and there'll be some new ones created in January, some new short-term Bible studies created in January. We need to learn how to how to immerse ourselves in the Bible, learn how to hear the words of God, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Let me wrap up the story. Good King Josiah ruled till he was 39 years old. Then he was wounded in battle as they were near Megiddo and they were fighting the Assyrians and the Egyptians and he died as a result of his wound. And what is really astonishing about the story, it was not long after his death the people went back to their old ways. One of the mottos we We created in the Protestant Reformation is, of course, in Latin, semper reformanda, always reforming. Human nature being what it is, whether it's our life or our congregation or the Christian movement, we need to be always reforming. We need those people like Josiah, Martin Luther, John Wesley. We need to be always reforming according to the Word of God. We need to always be reforming. It's it's interesting how after King Josiah died before long the Davidic line ends until Jesus comes and reestablishes the Davidic line. It's interesting that when I look at the life of King Josiah, he changed the culture, he changed society, but evidently he was not really very successful at changing hearts. But Jesus can change hearts. Jesus can change hearts that make us such different people that the world around us will be transformed, reformed, transformed by us. Friends, may we be those people who are so immersed in the Word of God that we continue to shock the world around us, we startle the world around us, and by our very presence, we continue to reform and transform the world around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.